What up, all you beautiful misfits and rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 171 of Misfits and Rejects. In today's episode, I sat down with Adam Palmiter. Adam is an entrepreneur. He's a comedian. He's an artist. He's making his way around the world in a very unique, cool way. And I think it's a good opportunity for all the listeners to really understand how it could be done. He gives some really good pointers on what he does before he goes into a new city and how he makes his way through it as an artist, as a comedian, making enough to sustain himself in the city for the time that he's there, adding to his network with the people he meets, and continuing to push forward with the goals that he has set for himself. What I really liked about this episode is that Adam is really going to start tackling the education space in America. He's got a big idea. He's really motivated in his mission, what gets him up in the morning. And he's starting with a really cool little book called Tea Lee and the Opportunity Tree. It's a children's book on entrepreneurship, basic concepts that he feels aren't even touched upon within the education system and like others wants to really tackle that and bring it to the forefront of a conversation where a lot of young learners out there don't learn in the way that the school system is set up. There's a lot of individuals out there slipping through the cracks who are very intelligent, but just have a different learning style than the way a classroom is set up. And Adam dives into that. And I, I really thank him for bringing that into the conversation. You know, his experience as a child who was diagnosed with ADD and being medicated and how it affected him psychologically and how it's affecting hundreds of thousands of children within the American school systems today. So again, like in my past few intros of the last episodes, it just comes at such a perfect moment for me in my journey as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's trying to design his life in a specific way and gave me a tremendous amount of inspiration and confidence that, you know, as I continue down this path, I can definitely make my life more location independent. And I'll definitely be utilizing a lot of the strategies that Adam talks about throughout this episode. So if you're somebody listening right now who feels like the school systems in America failed you and you are interested in helping the next generation start to grasp the concepts of entrepreneurship, starting your own business, designing your life and business in the way that you want, check out Adam's book, Tea Lee and the Opportunity Tree, or shoot him a message at adampalmater.com, which is in the show notes. In fact, everything in this episode is linked in the show notes, and all my episodes have links in the show notes, which you can always reference on my website, misfitsandrejects.com, if you want to get straight to his book on Amazon or his website. Super easy. You can click on one of those links. And thank you so much for joining us today. Always a pleasure delivering these super inspirational stories to you. I hope they are inspiring you as much as they are inspiring me. Please, if you're a first-time listener, hit that subscribe button. I had an audience member reach out recently describing how she wants to share it with friends and she'd love to just, hey, plug the category. Like on Spotify, for example, say like, hey, go to the podcast section, click on stories, scroll down, you know, eight, epi- eight podcasts and you'll find Misfits and Rejects. Well, it's not that easy. You know, these platforms that my podcast is broadcasted from, like Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all have algorithms just like Google and the algorithm identifies those podcasts that are getting the most listenership, the most playtime, and they'll push those up to the forefront. You know, that's why subscribing to my podcast, that's why commenting, that's why sharing really helps me within those algorithms getting to get my podcast onto that front page, if you will, that page one of the Spotify algorithm, the iTunes algorithm that makes it a lot easier for people to find Misfits and Rejects. So if you want to participate in helping me get Misfits and Rejects higher up within the ranking systems of these platforms, please again, subscribe, share this episode, like this episode, comment on this episode, rate this episode with five stars, please. And that helps a lot. So I appreciate you. 
I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoy this episode with Adam Palmiter. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Adam Palmiter. Yes. What's up, brother? <laughs> I met you last year, and I'm so excited to finally get you on the podcast, dude, because... Super stoked. The nine, the nine <laughs> months that has gone past since we kind of met, you, when we did meet, were in a similar boat as me, kind of trying to find your way. Mm. You found your way. Now you're here, and the path that you're blazing is so cool. Oh, man. So find your, find your way is a strong choice of words, but, <laughs> but in terms of progress, yes, it's, it's been a big year. Well, I think, for me, the, the biggest inspiration in what you do and how you live is that you're an artist. I mean, at the mm-hmm. core, and you can disagree with me on this, but you are an artist, somebody who is very creative, and you're piecing your life together on the road, more or less as an artist. And that's mm-hmm. not an easy thing to do. Very true. Uh, a few years ago, I actually would have argued with you about the term artist. Oh. It took me a long time to actually tell people I'm an artist because for whatever reason, it sounded like uh, I, I couldn't give them a good answer for what I was trying to do. And uh, yeah, but now full-fledged, I'm... Uh, completely involved in yeah being an artist in every sense of the word um and yeah finally at a place i think in my life where i feel comfortable with that congratulations oh I mean, thank you very much it's man. an accomplishment because i think the struggling artist image is something that everyone's very familiar with yeah and i talk about it a lot on my podcast because i bring on comedians which you are one as well mm-hmm. you're a professional comedian mm-hmm. um and to have somebody who is I don't want to say going through the back door of mm. the industry or industries, if you will, the art community or the like comedy scene. Asia is a great place to do it. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Um, I, after spending time in New York, I got my start doing comedy. If you want to start talking about this, please um, go right ahead. Dude. Uh, I, about nine and a half years ago in Seoul, South Korea, uh, I was there teaching and I was, <laughs> I was actually a beatboxer for a hip hop improv comedy group. And I got that job about a week after I got to Korea where uh, the one person who I knew was a rapper in this improv comedy hip-hop group. And we ended up going to their show. It was really good. Very, very smart. Very funny uh, MCs. And they said that night, like, oh, we're going on the subway tomorrow to rap around uh, to about, uh, you know, what's going on in the subway. We wish we had a beatboxer. And I lied and said I could. And so they ended up... I stayed up all night practicing beatboxing to join this group. Fast forward a couple weeks later, after a few shows, we were the closing act for the Stand Up Soul Monthly Showcase at a Canadian hockey bar in Itaewon, Korea. And I remember watching these comedians and they were like, oh, this looks way more fun. <laughs> you know, like writing jokes and not having to make mouth fart noises. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty interesting way to start. But then, yeah, going through New York, then realizing, oh, this is where people come to do comedy. You know, no one's moving to, to Idaho or to Ohio to practice comedy full time. They go to New York or Los Angeles and realizing the level of competition was like, oh, this is not something that I want to jump into. I have no real desire to become, you know, be on TV or movies or get into writing. And those seem to be the very three big options that you can do as a comedian in New York. 
uh, and that didn't really ring my bell as much. So coming out to Asia, having a little more elbow room, you also get a lot more creative freedom, which I think just lends itself to any artist. So yeah, uh, around Asia has been a, been a good move. Been good. Seems like it. So timeline-wise, you weren't a comedian prior to the Korea experience? No, I was not. Really? I went there. I was a teacher. I taught for three years in Brooklyn, New York, teaching preschool. And the school was right across from Pratt University, the famous art university in Brooklyn. And the school I was at was actually right across from a place where a lot of students lived. So every time the trash came, about once a week, you would see all these art supplies in the trash. And that's when I started painting. I just started gathering these free art supplies, you know, and so started doing that and then took that to Korea. And then I didn't know really this comedy was going to be waiting for me there. <laughs> but wait, now I'm so, yeah. <laughs> this is so interesting. Wait, you weren't even an artist until you were stealing art supplies. Out yeah, of totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> Art's expensive. But um, you obviously maybe had an um, inclination and you were drawn to art, I'm assuming. Always had a child. Been. Odd choice of words because when I was a bar mitzvah at 13 years old, my I had I drew my own T-shirt for like the the little party we had, and the tagline was "I was drawn to Adam's bar mitzvah." My father came up with that little joke, and to this day it still haunts me. But I think it also brings together art and comedy in a really weird, serendipitous way in my life. You know, starting that way. But uh, yeah, I had no. Uh, no idea I'd be getting into comedy or art until yeah, after college. So this makes this episode extra special oh, okay. because <laughs> I did not know this coming into this conversation. Oh. And I think for my audience, what Misfits and Rejects is about the message I'm trying to send, which is like, if you're not happy in your life situation, make a change. Yeah. And you made that change. I'd say so much later in mm. life when it comes to the art thing, the comedy thing, a lot of people I interview have known these things about themselves mm at an early age, but didn't make the change till later or set themselves on that path early on. And so for you to kind of do that and have the success that you've had at this point in life, how old are you now? 38. 38 years yeah. old. And so this turning point came in like 20, 1920. Oh no, this was, um, so I never graduated high school and I ended up getting to college a little bit later. Um, graduating, I think maybe it was, I mean, 24 or 25 when I graduated. Um, but yeah, then jumping into education, I've always wanted to be an educator. That's always been at the core. I've always been very good at, at that. Um, I've been working with kids in some capacity since I was about 14 years old, uh, whether that be after school programs, summer camps. Uh, and then when I got to college, I began working and teaching at a preschool. And I, for whatever reason, that's always just kind of fit me. Now, art and comedy are kind of, to be honest, graduated hobbies that have turned into a profession. Uh, at this point, actually, in my life, I'll be you know getting back into the education space. But um, yeah, I had really no inclination to get involved in any of them. But I think it kind of shows that, you know, maybe uh, hobbies are what make my life. <laughs> it's uh, because comedy and art have become such huge parts of it unexpectedly. But um, that's kind of really the only way I've known to go, I guess. No, it's super cool. And I am just shocked and excited that oh, this awesome, is where the conversation's <laughs> going. Hobbies are something that you come across a lot on the road. Expatriates, a lot of people in which I interview, um, land in a place and they intuitively just are drawn to their hobbies yeah. to try to make money and make a go of it. Yeah. You know, whether it's making pizzas, uh, drawing art murals on walls for money in exchange for places to stay, whatever it may be, that's kind of what you see like people naturally being drawn to mm. most fail 
It's just the nature yeah. of the beast, you know? Sure. And so to see you be successful, like, so the audience understands, like, Adam is the MC of this giant conference that I've talked about in past episodes, the mm -hmm. DCBKK Dynamite Circle. You've MC'd it, what, now the last three years, four years? Oh, no, this is just uh, my last two years. The year before that, I was a volunteer, and I convinced them to let me do comedy between the speakers. That's how they gave me the job. So I was just a volunteer. Uh, I ended up, I had to actually give them uh, the Bangkok skyline design for free just so they could let me volunteer. Was that this year's That thing? was three years ago. Okay. So within that time, I mean, I showed up there. I had my cousins are in the D.C. Like I mentioned, I had a lot of friends. And I was still kind of finding myself in terms of what the network meant in terms of, you know, what does entrepreneurship really mean? Um, and I think the biggest lesson coming out of that was a lot of it is community. You know, especially when you're a freelance or if you're going on your own, having that community uh, is so important, which is what makes a DC special, to be honest. But going there and having to give them artwork just to volunteer was well worth it. And then finally, when they, when Dan and Ian took a chance and let me do comedy, um, I thought that was a really good opportunity. There are no other comedians in the DC. There's probably a handful of artists, uh, and it would just seem like a great opportunity to get my face and name out there. And then immediately when I finished, they told me like, Hey, we hate being on stage. You're actually good at it. Do you want to join the team? And, uh, so yeah, that's how I joined the DC, but it's a, uh, yeah, backdoor, but yeah, <laughs> you know, no, it's great. And <laughs> your trajectory has just been going up and up and up and up since mm. I saw you, um, nine months ago, Yeah, which I'd like to talk a little bit about now, because I mean, at this point you have a published book, children's mm. book on Amazon for sale. The name of it is, can you please? Yep. Tea Lee and the Opportunity. Which uh, is an it's entrepreneurial a, book for children? It's a business book. It's, it's really, it's a concept introduction book to young kids about the world of business and entrepreneurship, um, all the variables and factors, which they are very much a part of. And we are not really made aware of that until we're older. And I think there is a big void out there in terms of how does money move around a simple economy? You know, words like product service, profit. Um, and the book really kind of just introduces these things to kids. It gives a very easy examples of like a lemonade stand style uh, business in terms of very simple math, but uh, applicable notions, which I think are very valuable to the kids that we are simply not teaching them. Uh, so um, a few months ago, myself and actually about, I'd say about six, seven years ago, my cousin Keith, he's a financial advisor in Miami. He came to me with a, an idea similar to this book, just about, you know, he's got three young daughters and he was saying, you know, I, as a financial advisor, I really worry sometimes when I have clients who come in who lack simple financial literacy and having three kids who he realizes in their school, they're not really being taught this. That kind of scares him. So bringing, you know, uh, his angles as well as mine as a teacher together, he came to me with this idea. Uh, and it took, I didn't really begin to start working on the first book until almost two years ago. Um, but I needed to figure out an artistic medium that I'd be able to travel with. So this kind of ties into traveling as well. And I fully wrote the book and illustrated it on an iPad with an Apple pencil and had to learn the technology. But bringing that book back and finally being able to create something from an educational perspective that has legs for the future, a future we're walking into that you no know, one really understands which way is up yet or what automation is going to do to a job industry, 
you know, what is going to happen to the American school system or international school systems for that matter. Um, simply put, we're not giving the kids a, a, a well-equipped enough skill set to go into a future that is still very uncertain. And um, so, yeah, I think my experience as a teacher, as a teacher and as a student, which school had kind of failed me, I've kind of really started to feel like, all right, well, this is more of a, of a duty, you know, uh, when you had met me, uh, you know, nine months ago, I was working on exclusively trying to sell art and trying to tell jokes full time. And as fun as that is, and as amazing that is, it, it took me getting back into the classroom a few months ago to realize, oh, you idiot, this is your why. This is why you're, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Comedy and art are great. They're always going to be there for you. Uh, but nothing fulfills me more of like walking out of a classroom knowing that was a great class, knowing that the students left a little something else uh, than when they had come in. And as cheesy as that sounds, man, that 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 puts oil in my engine, man. <laughs> like uh, it really is fantastic. So trying to find a way to incorporate art, comedy, and education. Um, yeah, I think I'm uh, I'm I'm really on to to what I'm supposed to be doing. So I mean, it's great that you found that, and you've I mean, you've created now at this point an asset, you know, from an entrepreneurial investment point of view mm -hmm. that's going to live for forever. Yep. You know, Amazon's not going anywhere. That's always going to be there. Don't think so. It eventually become our president, and <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you can at this point use your skills or you know, point your um, some marketing energy mm. into the book and it's going to be maybe some passive income for you as yeah. well. I mean, and this is kind of, it ties to the DC as well because this is, this is literally a reflection of everything I've learned in the last two years, being around entrepreneurs, being around people who are building businesses from the ground up with very little. I mean, you saw a lot of times it's a laptop, you know, and a, a little bit of capital and a good idea. Uh, and yeah, this has been... Uh, I don't know. It, 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 I can't find a better way to say it. It comes full circle. Yeah. Because I, it, two years ago, had you asked me what book would it be that people in the DC would want to buy for their kids, I really feel like it would be, you know, this product. Um, but it's a, uh, yeah, it's been a journey. What do you think? Because I mean, other people are like-minded like you. There are other people out there right now really focusing on that space of like, hey, the school system's failing our youth. Mm. Technology is going to wipe out most of the job sector in the next whatever they say. Uh, we need to start educating them on like how to be entrepreneurs. What separates you from the rest or what makes your product unique in the way you're delivering that information to the youth of today? I think with my experience as a teacher and an entrepreneur, um, there's an overlap. Um, so in terms of education, everything that I've been done, I've really kind of taught myself. And it hasn't been out of like, like, oh, I don't want to go to school. That's just kind of had my life. Like my hobbies have become, you know, what I do. So there's, uh, I don't know. It, it, it seems to be just this. Maybe I can you know, answer I for this, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah try. <laughs> well, I was thinking about myself when you just said that. And like when you're, I'm not saying you're not gifted at what you're created, but the process in which you've gotten to this point of teaching yourself how to illustrate mm. this on that iPad, I believe you said, yeah. and and going through that process in which you understand the process well enough that now you can articulate it in mm -hmm. a simple way to people sounds like a gift that you possess. I feel like I have a similar gift. I might be wrong. You can totally correct me on this, but I think that's a superpower that individuals have when they have to like go through that process of teaching themselves. Since you know every step of the way, it's easier than to take the individual who hasn't done it and wants to learn and be like, okay, 
Let me break it down for you in a very yeah. simple term, you know? I think the, uh, the way I wrote the copy for the book, like, you know, the, the script and the story, it's written in a teacher's voice. That's, I mean, I've been teaching young kids for a long time. I've read so many of these books to kids over and over again. And you start to notice, just like anything, a pattern. You start to notice a, a certain vernacular pacing. Um, and one of the best compliments I had from someone who, when they read it, who I had never met before, they said, oh, this is obviously written by a teacher. And it's like, all right, perfect. That's what I want to do. But the actual embodiment of the book itself and actually in my journey and process of how I've done it really embodies the nature of the book. It's about being an entrepreneur, figuring out for yourself. And I very much had to do that just to construct this book. So it kind of like self-prophesized and manifested itself in a way. Uh, but I think entrepreneurs, going back to what I said about community, and I think entrepreneurs are naturally gifted at recognizing value in resource. And that means nurturing uh, relationships. That means getting out there and meeting people because no one else is doing it for you. Um, and that takes a certain mindset. Uh, it takes a certain person to go to Nicaragua. <laughs> you know, it takes a certain person, uh, you know, to put together any of these, these businesses of people that we've encountered and, and go through that process. And I think that's such a valuable thing for people to learn that you, we have these skills. You just need someone to dust it off and push you in the right direction at some point. Um, but in a way, you know, you had spoke before about how people start to, you know, capitalize on their hobbies a bit. They're hobbies for a reason. We're supposed to be doing them. If you're good at them and you're happy doing it, that's a great sign. Now, monetizing that is a different story entirely. And a lot of people kind of realize, oh, I have a job and I have my hobbies. Well, the jobs keep the light on and food on the table. Hobbies are for fun. And we're getting to a point now where a lot of those jobs are not going to be reliably there in the future. So getting good at what you like and getting good at and learning how to monetize these things. Um, I don't know. I'm sure you probably get this a lot. People say like, oh, I wish I could do what you do. 100%. And, and, and it, it, all they want to see are like the good things, you know, like the freedoms. I mean, but just like anything, there's, there's, there's security and lack of security in several areas of, of our lives. And a lot of those are different from people who have, you know, those, um, those office jobs. You know, if you want an office job, that's great. If you have a good job, if you enjoy what you do, fantastic. Uh, but there's a large percentage of people out there who can't wait for Friday. And that scares the hell out of me, to be honest. <laughs> 100%, dude. Talking about process real quick, because you are in a group of people that some of them are very skilled in writing books. Mm -hmm. You know, we, I had Esther uh, Jacobs on the show a few weeks ago and then Derek Murphy about mm -hmm. a year ago both wizards when it comes to publishing books. Yeah. In short periods of time, they hold retreats. Did you use any of their resources or did you like pick their brains on how to do this process? So I actually watched a bunch of Derek's videos on YouTube. He's like the number one search that comes up for, for looking for publishing your own book, um, especially for the... I'm, I'm published through Amazon, through KDP, Kindle Direct Publishing. And I watch a lot of his videos and just like little things about, you know, oh, you have to set the parameters for this. Um, you know, all the, the technical angles of it, but realizing like, oh man, I sat next to this dude, <laughs> you know, like at, at Get Shit Done last year, or, you know, we had lunch and talked about books and just life in general. Um, and I, I, it's, it's really cool, man, to see the people in the DC who just such high performing people putting themselves in these position and you realize like, oh yeah, well, that's my resource, you know, like it's some high level, high level resource there. But, uh, also you don't have to be friends with them to get all, all the information on YouTube. 
everything that I did, you know, for the book, mostly for the process, I am technologically, I'm an idiot when it comes to iPads or, you know, computers, anything tech back end, I'm horrible at it. So it's so easy to go on YouTube and just type in the, the, the dumbest search in, like, how do I make blue dark? <laughs> or, you know, like, something like that. And someone's out there with a video with at least a thousand views showing you how to make blue dark. Um, and, I mean, I think that that's actually increasing in the world, which I think will make it easier in theory for people to become entrepreneurs and to access information at a much greater scale and, yeah. and yeah, use that for a, an actual a business, successful business. Yeah, talking about platforms business, where you're going from this point on, you have your pilot project, if you will, or your, mm. your baby that you just published. Um, obviously, you have a vision of trying to help change you know, the youth of today. Can you talk to you a little bit about that vision or and how it might yeah. play out? So it's a lot of broad strokes at this moment. Uh, however, I know my objective is to put out more entrepreneurs than there are in the world now. Letting the youth know that there are several different paths, uh, and a lot of them do require a lot of the same skill set, and that means being just finding value in places I think that most people don't. Um, and running your own business, trial by fire, a lot of times is how people learn, myself included. Uh, and I think that is actually a much better business model than going to college and spending four years studying a subject and then getting to a job and realizing, oh, this is not what I want at all. Mm -hmm. um, I believe American universities are a scam, to be honest. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, the system itself has turned into such a, for lack of a better word, American capitalist, you know, incredible product, uh, and it's working too well. And so we're going to have generations of people who are, you know, going to debt. However, I think this book, equipping kids with these entrepreneurial skill set and just the mindset, just introducing them to the world of money around them is so important. When they spend this dollar on a slice of pizza, where does that dollar go? You know, that business uses it for something that uses it for something that uses it for something. And kids have no idea about that. It's just paper money. It's coins. People stress about it. and They don't really understand why. Uh, I think getting into that mindset is super important to start developing your own ideas for your business and for your life. And then creating more minds like this, actively pull away from the talent pool from these giant corporations that rely on people who don't have that mindset. The people who think, all right, I have to get this job. My wage will increase incrementally over years and years. And then after 30 something years, I collect a pension. Someone buys me a cake. Well, I don't really know. They probably spell my name wrong on it. I blow out the candle and then I'm done. And those are supposed to be the years you're going to travel. And that's when, you know, health comes into play. That comes into like maybe you have a family. Maybe, you know, there's a, a thousand reasons to not travel when you're older versus when you're you know, younger and active and able to squeeze as much life and as much value out of the world that's out there. Uh, and so I think there needs to be, I believe there will be a culture shift happening around the world. And it's going to start with jobs and education. Start with your book. <laughs> Probably. There you go. You're welcome, world. <laughs> so that's your why, though. I guess I was trying to get up more of like your how. Mm. I mean, you have the book. I mean, like I'm thinking Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, where it's like, are you going to have games involved, like after school programs yeah. where kids can, instead of going to the YMCA and like playing video games and ping pong or whatever the fuck they do at YMCA's after school or boys clubs, yeah, boys and girls clubs, sorry, like... Are you going to have like entrepreneurial centers for kids and, and teachers to make an extra yeah. buck to like sit down and like be like, hey, kid, 
you want to you know be like the baller that you see on TV? Well, yeah. I'm going to teach you how to do it. Exactly. I think there's a great opportunity there for entrepreneurs and teachers alike. I think there are several teachers out there who are teaching things that maybe they're not great at. Okay. Uh, and I also think there's entrepreneurs out there who are killing a certain business. However, they're missing a great opportunity to pass on a lot of these skills they've acquired. Um, so in terms of like, yeah, this, the, these broad strokes that I mentioned, I would love to ha- create some kind of platform. Uh, one, as you mentioned, uh, co-education spaces. Much in the vein of uh, like WeWork. So we were, you know, recently went under. Uh, (laughs) They're not doing great. Um, For whatever reasons, they went under, you know, financially, the back end wasn't solid. The one thing they nailed was their branding. No one says, oh, do you want to go to a co-working space? Like, oh, what's a co-working space? Like, oh, like, have you heard of, you know, some small mom and pop co-working shop or whatever, this cafe? No, they say we work. And in terms of branding, that just knocks out of the park. Everyone kind of knows what that means now. And... Even though that company went under, they're the Google in the sense of no one says, hey, what's this restaurant? Type it into Bing. You know, like no one says Bing it. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> says Google it. Right. Um, but I think that it was an important step culturally where people realize, oh, we don't have to sit in an office in a desk that was assigned to us. You know, you can have this, and people make fun of it. It's like an open air area and you can have your coffee and your water and like, we have beer on Fridays and a lot of them just have a tap of beer there for whatever you want. <laughs> I think the point is they treat you like adults is they treat you like someone that has, that can make their own decision about what desk do you want to sit at. Sometimes they get assigned because whatever, but no one's forcing you to sit there. You know, no one put a gun to your head and say, go sign up for a WeWork. Most times you just walk in. I feel like sitting over here today. Here's the window. I take breaks when I want to. And I think that lifestyle freedom is something that is completely, I, I don't know, completely robbed of the last several generations. Whereas, you know, a slave to a punch clock or a boss or a vacation time, time and a half, these things like that. Whereas if you want to get your shit done, you can do it on your own terms because who knows? We trust you, (laughs) you know, like we trust people driving cars. We trust people, you know, drinking or, you know, buying guns. Why can't we say maybe you don't have to show up at eight in the morning? You know, how do you think so, you make it to appealing to like a 13 year old though? Because who else would be more appealed by that? <laughs> if you walked into a high school and told teenagers, say, Hey, you know what? Come in when you want, sleep in, eat, eat a pop tart and then show up and then we'll do math. What? <laughs> like, I mean, I remember going to school at, you know, almost seven o'clock in the morning, almost seven o'clock in the morning. And the bus schedules are actually, created around the rush hour of adult versions of this who have to go to their job at certain times. And, but I mean, teenagers are scientifically not supposed to be out of bed until like 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. They're, they're, what do you call it? Circadian rhythm or, or something, uh, when you're going through puberty is completely different from adults. They, they do not operate at a high function until probably late morning. Uh, and this has been well documented in, you know, scientific journals. However, we expect kids to show up. And I mean, now imagine waking up as a kid and thinking, okay, you can choose from certain classes. You can choose from, you know, maybe having a major, like when you're in college. I think that was such an alien thing growing up. When you're 18, you go to a brand new school and they say, pick a major. You have to like have a major and there's a lot of gravity to that. Um, so I see the future of education and business kind of melding together in a way where you have these centers where students, teachers working together, developing skill sets, 
And then actively, people who are in you know the working world can kind of pick from these these talent pools of kids, you know, not based on tests, but based on performance. But performance on things that they're good at, performance on things that you actually like. Maybe you're not good at what you like. That's going to be life, you know.、Uh, but I think education in in general it will shift much the same way that business will. And so it's my hope that I don't know if maybe you know. Funding these centers, but being involved in it in terms of creating more of a culture where this is a more of accepted version of、um, of learning and of sharing information and eventually transferring into the working world and not having it such be such stark, you know, life milestones which are overblown. You know, you graduate and then you go to college and you graduate from there and now into the working world and there's these, they, you know, all these life milestones are set for you. And I think maybe the most、uh, pivotal moments of my life were not planned, and they were just kind of thrown in there in curveball style. And but I think that's why they've been the most pivotal, is because we come, we end up being ready, not when someone else set me up for a certain timeline. Totally. I think with your model, actually, I could see it really growing and, and evolving into what you're describing with. You know, venture capitalists out there who are always searching for talent,、mm. and you being that pool in which they start recruiting from. Yeah, almost like a professional team who's like not looking for college athletes anymore in America. Yeah, like they're going to high schools because that's where they realize that's where the real investment is in the youth of、mm-hmm. today, and then they bring them into their like system and they develop into the the LeBron Jameses, you know, the Kobe、yeah. Bryant's of the world, where like VC capital money is under that kind of system and. Probably naturally going to go in that direction, anyways.、Mm-hmm. You know, with just the access kids now have to,、sure. to technology information these days, like they're looking, they're searching for that next Facebook in the high school, junior high,、yeah. like arenas. You know, and I mean, if you could provide that arena, like, and be the brand of that arena, that's really interesting model. Actually, yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a, it's a big idea. <laughs>、uh, however.、Um, I, I fully believe that you know I'm a big believer in resources and believe in, big believer in community and it's obviously it's who you know,、mm-hmm. um, but I really think that's going to be a very natural shift because the way technology has played a role in the last ten years alone.、Uh, I mean, I remember what was it, you know, fifteen years ago or something when the iPod came out and it was just mind blowing, a thousand songs on, the,、mm-hmm. on this thing, you know, and. And now we have everything you could possibly want in your phone, <laughs> like in your pocket, slowly cooking your balls. <laughs> you know, it's I, like I always have my left pocket. I、yeah. always think my left nut is going to get cancer. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. <laughs> it's, your, it's your phone. Your phone nut. <laughs>、um, We've talked a lot about the, the the entrepreneurship side of your life, which I think is amazing. I love that you're doing because that's your why. It seems like you're impassioned by it, and、Super、you're, you're driven, and you have another book that is in the、mm-hmm. works right now, which we can touch upon in a minute. But I'd like to kind of also bring it back to the comedian in you,、mm. the person that I've seen on stage who's very talented and could probably, with a lot of effort, make that also their full time. You know, yeah, like, I, I, know, I know you're professional; you do get paid for this,、um, but it's something that like. Seeing you do your thing, like you're naturally very good at this. The fact that you discovered it so late in life is fucking bizarre to me. <laughs>、um, is that something that you mull around? Like, what if somebody said, like, listen, Adam, Netflix special, it's it's done. It's all we have to do is film it. Are you in? What are you going to do? You going to choose education or, or comedy?、Uh, I mean, does it come down to education or comedy? If they offer me that, <laughs> I think it would probably put 
education on the back burner for a minute. If you get a sure. Netflix special where you're traveling, oh all the boy, time, that's like, tough. Because then, that, I mean, in terms of branding and <laughs> get, get my name out there for the book, that might be pretty good. That's um, true. Hey, fair enough. You can see it like if that. If I had to make a decision between comedy and, and, and education, I mean, education, hundred percent. Really, a hundred percent. Comedy is a drug. It really is. There's, I mean, I, I've been, you know, nine and a half years. I've been doing it now. So it's been, I, I put in the time. Um, I've been producing shows for years. I've been lucky enough to do comedy in 16 different countries. Um, and that angle of it has kind of always taken, it's like, I want to do as many countries as possible. I want to meet as many comedians as possible. I'll always perform. Um, about a year, um, you know, maybe a little over a year ago, uh, I decided I'm not going to let comedy play a huge financial role in my life. I still get paid for it. And I, I mean, I still travel. I still, you know, headline it and, and get paid. But in terms of it being the importance and the backbone of how I'm making money, it doesn't really interest me because I would put too much pressure on myself in terms of the performance. So comedy in a way, I mean, it's a one-sided conversation. You know, and I, in your, it's an art form. It's one of the only art forms that is it, you are expecting a certain reaction from. You can see interpretive dance, music, you know, um, physical, visual art. It's always open to interpretation. No one tells a joke and they're like, oh, well, maybe you just don't, you know, well, I guess they do say that. you don't understand it or do this, but <laughs> regardless if it makes someone happy or sad, like we want to get a laugh. We want, we're, we're trying to get a very specific reaction out of people. Um, and a lot of that has to do with how are you feeling on stage? How's the crowd feeling on stage? Did they pay to get in? Did they not pay to get in? Did I have too many drinks? Um, uh, are they feeling the jokes? What kind of audience is it? So there's so many variables that are constantly shifting, honestly, in real time. And that it's so hard to really, to replicate the same thing. Um, so... You know, the metric is completely different, I think, each night. But that's the exciting part about it, is that you don't know what you're walking into. But when you do well, man, <laughs> the universe lets you know. And you feel fantastic. It's awesome. Because uh, you developed, you know, something. It's a good time. It's a great time. Making a room full of people laugh. <laughs> um, I mean, I love it. I've always loved it. Uh, but I, I've been choosing this last year to give it less power. Um, like I, that means, I mean, I'll still do it, but I need, I, you know me, I spread myself very thin. <laughs> uh, I have ADD out the wazoo that pulls me in several directions all the time. And so, but now I'm actually recognizing what it looks like to, Hey, spend time working on this book, the important things. Uh, but you know, comedy, comedy is always going to be, you know, my, my main bitch, <laughs> I think. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you have to keep that balance in your life because if you sure. just dive too much into one thing, it starts to lose its flavor and you start to become disenchanted with it. You know, a lot of comedy comedians who I know who they're the road comics, they spend, you know, two thirds of their year on the road. Every night they're in a bar, which is what a comedy club is. Um, you get exposed to, you know, that nightlife and it's it's a lot of vice. Sometimes it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to say no to that, but it's also very solitary. You know, if you're traveling from one city to the next, it's not a team sport, you know, it's just you. And it's a lonely game. It is. And I think one of the perks that, like I mentioned before, you go to any city or any place and you're hanging out with comedians, there's a good chance you're hanging out with the funniest people in that city. So it's a good time. 
which also introduced like, hey, but if we're drinking, that's also a good time. And next thing you know, you've had a lot of good times and <laughs> nights in a row <laughs> and you start to feel it. Um, but I think, you know, physically as well as emotionally, it takes a toll on you. Um, so you've made your decision, it sounds like. I mean, you're going to go all yeah. in on this idea of helping the youth of today with your illustrated children's books and then growing it hopefully into that platform, that arena yeah. for entrepreneurs to flourish and not become servants to the man, if you will. I want to see, and then you know what, like growing up, that's, that's going to be the punk in me. Like, okay. uh, thank, uh, thankfully I found the punk scene when I was a young teenager and found a place to freak out and to be different and to really absorb counterculture as a young kid. Uh, and I feel like that's something that doesn't truly ever leave you. So, and that doesn't mean necessarily like making money, you know, like you can make money and do whatever, but it, I, I think that there's, like I said, a sense of duty. If you're heavily involved in education, that's who you are. And like I said, going back to that, that high school I taught at, uh, for the summer program this over the summer, it was just made me realize like, oh, you've been lying to yourself. Like this is the, the important stuff, you know? Um, why do you think that is? This is something I, I want to go into a little deeper because you did mention it from the beginning. You always knew you wanted to be in education. Yeah. You always knew you wanted to teach. Like what is that in you that draws you to that? Like why? Like, I mean, yeah. just, just so the audience, I want to kind of sure frame this for them. Like you went back this last year to Buffalo, New York mm. to be a substitute teacher, a teacher for summer school. Yeah. It was, it's a summer program. Uh, I was teaching English language arts. It's an enrichment program for four weeks. Um, my brother-in-law is a basketball coach at this uh, public school in Buffalo and it's an accelerated program, which means the students take college classes from 10th grade through 12th grade. And by the time they graduate, they have an associate's degree, putting them way ahead of the curve um, of, of students who will eventually graduate with a four-year diploma. Um, a lot of these students in the inner city have a very high dropout rate, uh, even after high school, getting into college. So this puts them, gives them, you know, uh, a big step forward. So I was in town. He said, do you want to teach this for four weeks? You know, it, it, I'll be there. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, we'll give it a shot. And... It, it was pretty, it was pretty intense. Uh, but I left that being, thinking like that was the best job I think I've ever had. Just uh, being able to connect with kids and to get out to your original question. So when I was in third grade, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder and I was medicated with Ritalin. And this is like 1980s Ritalin. This is when it was just <laughs> meth. Right? It was, my doctor was Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> and he just gave me a bunch of meth and, but you know, public school, 30 kids in a class, I'm bouncing off the wall. They give me something to chill out and so the teacher can do their job. I understand the perspective. Mm -hmm. The system itself is a faceless, personless thing. However, it, it, it you know, it's, it's a flawed system. Um, and many kids like me just lost faith in school. Um, <laughs> so when I was in third grade, when they would do this testing for my ADD, they had to call me into the, the special, what was it like special education or something? The teacher who dealt with the students of differentiated learning styles and her name was Mrs. Butt. Now when you're in third grade and they announce you over the loudspeaker, Adam Palmiter, please come to Mrs. Butt's office. Like you've never been laughed at. <laughs> like you've been laughed at by the rest of the third grade class. And that comedy chose me <laughs> in that perspective. Um, but you know, I was medicated all the way up until about ninth grade. And then when I came off the medication, I did not know how to act. Ritalin back then just made you completely emotionally and socially bankrupt. 
I had very few feelings. I, I didn't want to talk to anyone, sat alone for lunch, you know, for a long, long time. I had you know, very few friends, a very, very bad school experience. Um, but then when I got to high school, I came off of it and I just did not know how to act. I did not, and I would just freak out. I would, ah, geez, everything, just like breaking everything, setting fires. I called a bomb threat into school once. Like, I just did anything, not to get a reaction, but I guess in a way to get a reaction, but not really care what that reaction was. It was just for the sake of doing these destructive things because I think I just had such a passion for hating this institution I was in. Um, I left public school after failing out my junior year, and then my parents, in a last-ditch effort, sent me to a boarding school in Massachusetts, middle of nowhere, for students with differentiated learning styles across an entire scale. Some kids were... You know, seemingly just, you know, fine, not any big problems that would come out at face, you know, that you would call out. But then some students who were, you know, um, going to have a lot of problems. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm on this school, like tucked away in the middle of nowhere with a, roughly a little over 100 students, all of varying different degrees. And you felt like I wrote this, this weird little poem about like being in a jail. Um, but then I turned around academically became class president of my school when I, after I repeated my junior year, my senior year became class president and I started playing sports and just being very involved and just making a lot of friends. And then they found out I was selling drugs and so they kicked me out. So I was, I never graduated, got a GED and then eventually went to community college, got transferred to a state school and then became a teacher almost out of spite. Because, like I said, I've always enjoyed being a teacher. I've always enjoyed working with kids and just really kind of fighting that good fight. But now I had like almost like a vengeance in a way where I just remembered how many teachers who I hated, how many teachers who gave me like disgusted looks, um, just never having friends, never being able to, to fully socialize with students and kind of like having that disconnect almost culturally. You know what's weird? I remember, I think it was a year I got kicked out, that movie American Pie came out. And it was based on like, guys, we're going to graduate and here comes prom and this and this. And these are things I never experienced. And I remember just kind of sitting there like just on the outside thinking like, oh, fuck you, Hollywood. You know, like you're going to make a movie about it now. And <laughs> there was actually a song that came out um, that, I forget what it was, but it, it was basically about graduation. And they had all these sound clips of like students like, we're going to miss you guys. I can't believe it. it's finally over. We're going to stay in contact in college. I was going through none of that when it was happening. But also at the same time seeing, you know, kids who I grew up with going through that. So there was always this outsider feeling that I always had. Um, and, and now I fully embrace it because it's, it's turned into, you know, the life I'm living right now. We're in Thailand right now having a couple of beers, you know, chatting about the rest of the world. Right. Uh, so... It, I think that's really what it was. It was just like the overall, again, not anyone's fault, but the overall system, it kind of fails, not just me and several people. And that's why I believe this cultural shift needs to come. So, so one, <laughs> no, that's beautifully said. Thanks for being so open. No, because uh, I think that really embraces the spirit of what I'm trying to do and bring out in people. Yeah, you awesome, know, so man. everybody who's listening can relate to that. I mean, I know I can. <laughs> um, but yeah, like your first day at this uh, summer program, you told me, you walked in and you started what doing roll oh, call the attendance yeah, yeah. attendance and oh, man. what happened from there 
So the and, first kid whose name who I, I read, he just screams like, suck my dick. <laughs> and that like set the bar because everyone laughed. And I realized at that point that I'm alone in the ocean. Like I'm, I'm with, like there's a huge, you know, um, like age divide, cultural divide between me and these students. And they're all 16 years old. We're in an unair conditioned classroom in one of the oldest schools in Buffalo. And at 95 degrees, I've already sweat through my shirt. And, and they, 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 this is the thing, the thing about the class, um, there was no test. There was no homework. I had to figure out the curriculum. The only thing the students had to do was simply be there. They just had to be a body in the room for an hour and a half each day. And I had four of these classes every day. And the fact that they would even listen to me mind boggled me. I'm like, if I was their age, what would I I'd put my head down? Now they have phones. Like we didn't have phones back then, but like, so Moses kids. So it's so funny. The first day, right before the the attendance part, the teacher who usually teaches these kids says, "All right, collect all their cell phones right at the beginning of class, or else they're not going to listen." You know. So and she said it very confidently. I'm like, "All right, I'm getting in there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be that teacher in the movie. It's just like it's no bullshit. You know, this is Mr. Palmer's classroom." And I took out very dramatically. There was this old uh, filing cabinet, and I took like a big silver one, you know, and I pull out one of the entire cabinets out of it, and I slam it on the desk, and I'm like, everyone put your phones inside here until the end of class. And good God, did they laugh. They just were like, who really? Did you think that was going to work? And that was the first wave of embarrassment that hit me because I was like, oh, man, I, I became that dude. <laughs> I'm like, there's nothing that I would do to get them to do that. And they're like, you must be crazy. Like, wh like, what were you thinking of doing that? And that was the first failed attempt. And then immediately afterwards, when I, when I realized it wasn't going to work, I completely abandoned it. And then just went in with the attendance. And that's when I was like, yeah, I might as well not even be here. Like, there's nothing here. So the first few days of just the kids making fun of me and just like just talking shit, and it was beautiful. You forget how good you are at that at 16. Like, and how, you know, like how we act as human beings, like as a species at that age. Uh, but I remember going through and I'm handing out a poem. Like, and they're just like, are you joking? You know? And it took a few days to realize like, oh, I just got to make fun of them too. And so the next day I remember some kids started making fun of me and I just started, I went, I was like, you know, I get fucking paid for this, <laughs> you know? And so I was just like, be funny. And so I started making fun of kids being funny, but in a way I, w I was pushing it just enough where to let them know, because the second that, if you don't like straight up insult a kid, but you can make fun of him and then be like, Oh, come on, man. Just breaking your balls a little bit. And people recognize, I mean, we're animals. We recognize an alpha. And I think that, uh, a, a classroom like that, no matter what you are, you know, who you are as a teacher, if you command respect, you get it, no matter how you get it. And, you would see some of these teachers who are, you know, five foot nothing, little old women, but they know the students know to respect them and, you know, to not give them too hard of a time. And I kind of just had to realize, like, just be what I'm, I'm good at. And that's honestly comedy and teaching. And I ended up, because there's no curriculum, I would always sneak in a poem, some kind of poem. Tupac Shakur had a couple of poems that we talked about. Uh, things that the kids could, you know, try to relate to. But we would talk about aliens. We would talk about... Uh, Syria. We would talk about nuclear weapons. We would have debates about abortion, gun control, drugs. And then I just realized I was having my own Joe Rogan podcast every day with these kids because we had a computer with a smart board. We could look up anything, watch videos on anything. The second you started getting them engaged, you're like, oh, education is sales. 
You know, education very much is about the vehicle and what you're pre presenting and transferring this information. So the second you get these kids involved and actually just paying attention, then you can start slipping in the sale. Then you can start, you know, Educating. pushing the product. Exactly. And it came to that. It literally came to that. Sometimes a little more graceful than others. However, I mean, like I said, we're animals. We want to be sold. And I mean, can you think of a teacher that was good at sales that you had? Like, I mean, I can think of probably two or three teachers who I knew who could probably sell a car. The rest of them were, I was good at science or I was good at English. doesn't mean they're entertaining. doesn't mean they're, you know, they're, they're going to be an effective vehicle of, for transferring that information. Yeah. Um, and I mean, again, I'm kind of coming back to the book there. Like I made the book super pretty for that reason. And it's got a couple of jokes in it to, you know, to kind of so, be that vehicle to, to get kids interested in these things. Um, but yeah, over the summer, by the end of that four weeks, uh, I mean, I was flying high, just, you know, just... You had won them over. Yeah, but you know what? I feel, And as cheesy as this fucking sounds, like it won me over, mm. you know? Like, I always hear teachers who are like, you know, really, they teach me more than I teach them. It's like, well, you're probably not good at your job. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a big part of your job is to teach them. But leaving there, I was like, you, I think in terms of remembering what humans are like at that age, remembering what your stresses were, remembering what your relationships were like, um, and how, you know, like we look at high schoolers basically as adults. We look at college kids as adults. They're not, you know, and, but you forget what that world is like and how everything is so obscenely concentrated on you. And also, so you're just so worried about everything else and teachers forget that. And so a lot of times when you're seeing a student who's, you know, laying down, seemingly being disrespectful, does not want to listen. You have no idea what that kid left at home. You have no idea what that kid's going through. It could be on Ritalin. Of course. Yeah, exactly. And the second, like, I remember blowing up at a teacher for blowing my nose too loud. He came in and embarrassed me uh, in the classroom for blowing my nose too loud. And I was already in a, in a real time. And I just remember, like, I, fuck you, you fat fucking piece of shit. I went off. And then I remember getting, uh, was I like in school suspension? Uh, and it's in the, the write-up was like just being completely disrespectful to teachers. Like, well, how, why the hell does he deserve respect to begin with? I mean, I get it. You know, being a teacher, being a human being, we deserve respect. At the same time, like you went in there and chose to embarrass a kid in front of his friends at probably he didn't know it was a very vulnerable time for me. And, but there, there's no discourse. You know, there's no like they didn't ask me what was going on in my life. Just like a lot of teachers don't ask what's going on in this kid's life who's in detention. They just automatically like, nope, these are the rules. You went against them. You disrespected me. And what a great way to lose faith in a system. You know, it's, uh, it's so it's, I don't know. I think effectively a lot of teachers, you know, by no fault of their own end up closing a lot more doors and opening them because it, it's a person to person interaction, not a business, but it, you know, you spend your day around people and students and teachers are people just as, you, you know, just as much as anybody else. So I think that's a very, you know, kind of like examining the human interaction aspect of education, which is why I think sales is a big part of it, mm -hmm. uh, is just as important in terms of what we're teaching. Yeah. Do you think, would you consider, because I know you're going back to do the same program, I believe, or? Uh, I'll be back for, I'll be back in the States for December. Are you going to teach again or no? Substituting. Oh, okay. Yeah. At this point, uh, my focus is the book. However, it's great to be able to go back, visit parents and family, and then just pop into a class for a day. 
Yeah. And, you know, I can do my, especially with the young kids, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I don't have to commit to a contract or the nine to five. So are you legally allowed to introduce your book to your substitute classes and like kind of get feedback on it? Oh, sure. I mean, I've given my book to several teachers, uh, in Buffalo and, uh, around the United States just because I, I, I need their feedback. Okay. Uh, this is a community effort. This isn't just me. Uh, I mean, when I was, when I was in, you know, the editing process of this book, I sent it to as many teachers as I could think of. And thank God I did. I had a a lot of fantastic feedback, things I didn't think of, but from an educational perspective, it's community. Just like Hillary Clinton says, takes a village (laughs) or whatever. Um, I don't think she said that originally. Probably not. Probably not. (laughs) Do you think, um, I know your passion now is, you know, you, you, you discovered something in, you know, that classroom. Well, you always kind of knew you had it. Now you're kind of moving in this direction of creating this platform, but you do base yourself in Asia. I mean, I actually haven't in the last year and a half. I've been here. I I was, I was based in Vietnam for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And about a little over a year and a half ago, I left Vietnam. Since then, I've just been on the road. Um, sorry, what was the end of the question? With the DC. No, yeah, I'm just kind of like trying to gather like present day, Adam, where you're at, where you're going. Like, is Asia like your home base? Like, what, what are you doing? Oh man, I don't have a home base. Um, I mean, are you like, you're employed, are you employed by the DC? I am not. I'm actually contracted per uh, for twice a year. Okay. Basically, they bring me into MC. Um, up until this DCBKK, I've been pr- providing the, the T-shirt designs and the stage designs. Um, but I mean, I I don't think they consider me technically team, but I consider me team. <laughs> uh, because it's a good team to be a part of. It's fantastic, you know. I mean, we show up in Bangkok and then Austin once a year. I mean, I generally see these guys, yeah, you know, once a year, um, but. It, it, I absolutely love it. It feels like, like I said, summer camp. You know, uh, you walk around, I just see tons of my friends, uh, you know, people who I'm constantly getting advice from, giving advice to. Uh, so yeah, they really only get me twice a year, but I have gone to several DC events, um, this year. Or was I in, oh, was it Barcelona, Lisbon, and Cape Town this year? I was in for DCX events, the smaller, Emceeing them or? No, not, they don't need MCs for those ones. These You're are just, just like very small. Uh, yeah, Lisbon was maybe what, 40 or some odd people. Cape Town was 10. You know, it was mostly just kind of like a, a meetup, talk about a few things. Everyone just kind of breaks off into, you know, presenting something and then a big mastermind. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to get at with, you know, your new venture. Um, how you're piecing your life together financially. Yeah. Like, what are you doing to piece it together? I know you do sell pieces of art. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you do the emceeing, which puts money in your pocket. You have a bunch of side hustles. Is that primarily how you're getting by? It has been, yeah, it's been a mishmash for the last couple of years. Uh, I've been pretty fortunate to come across some sales of uh, pieces of artwork that are larger, more expensive. I've had some pretty good clients, uh, but also traveling and painting those murals. So I've been doing these giant abstract line murals for the last year and a half. Um, and now usually when I go to a city, so let's say last year when I went to Lisbon for the first time, when I was first trying to start with this, this new style, I found the Lisbon digital nomad Facebook group and about 11,000 members or so. And I posted, you know, artists here from New York looking for walls to paint, please send pictures, you know, for free. Uh, and here's my email and a few examples. The amount of people who wrote back to me was incredible. People just kept writing, hey, here's my office, here's my restaurant, my cafe, here's this wall, I think it would look good here. And I got to pick and choose places to go. 
and that always leads to work. So I give them a free mural, and because the, the idea was at the end of a month, I would have enough done to, to get them photographed and then have a art show showing the photos. And uh, I've done this twice in Lisbon, uh, but it's always led to work. So someone will see that online. Oh, can you do my logo with this? Like, well, right, well that's going to cost money because this is, I have 100% artistic freedom. It's for a show, really for building a portfolio, um, getting more online content, and actually just getting better at what I do. Um, so that's led to work. Comedy shows lead to work. Uh, the art, you know, I take breaks to teach here and there. Um, so yeah, uh, and now I'm seeing the conferences, and I have a Chiang Mai SEO conference coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, and that's a two-day conference, which I know nothing about SEO, but I can make fun of it. <laughs> and so that, yeah, it, it's good. Money tends to come in chunks, uh, but I'm fairly frugal, uh, living in places which are pretty cheap. Um, but I think in the future, man, I'm getting tired. You know, it's been a lot of traveling. I've been very fortunate to be able to, to maintain this lifestyle, but uh, in the last couple of years, it's just been too much. I'm thinking more of a home base. However, I have retired from winter. Um, so, yeah, I don't know exactly where this is headed, but yeah, we'll see. Somewhere warm, though. You're, you're implying somewhere, somewhere warm, warm, but not in the States? Or in the not States? A, I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, after New Year's, I'm thinking Columbia. Yeah. Uh, I was in Mexico City earlier this year, really fell in love with that place. Um, have really not been to Latin America that much, so I like to spend more time there. And then usually the fall, I come back to Asia anyways for the DC conference, the Chiang Mai SEO conference. Um, I spent a lot of time in Vietnam. I was just there for a couple of weeks before doing some shows. So there's always going to be the comedy circuit here. So when I come back, I know where my money is kind of being made on the back end of the year. It's the first part of the year, which is usually a little tricky. But uh, hopefully with the, you know, the book sales, and I have uh, four commissions waiting for me when I get back to the States, plus some, some teaching. Ideally, I would like to get into maybe speaking at educational conferences when this you know, product and my objective is a little more refined. Mm -hmm. um, because I've been to educational conferences when I was a teacher in New York, and... A lot of them are boring. <laughs> you know, people get up there and they're not meant to be entertaining. However, I heard a really great word uh, at the DC event, um, edutainment, which is a way more uh, effective way of getting, you know, th this information across. And I think especially to teachers, that's important because I remember, oh man, going to these educational conferences, especially the early childhood ones, probably 96% women for like, young educational conferences and then you would hear all these speakers and everyone's very, very, you know, um, into what they're, you know, they're pushing and these new educational resources and ideas and stuff. And then it always led to the end. The biggest part was the second it was over, everyone hits the bar and no one drinks like teachers. I'll be honest. No one drinks like people who are fighting the good fight. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny. But I remember thinking like there's this keynote speaker and it was this guy who was an administrator. And he was talking about, um, maybe not the common core standards, but something about raising math standards. And good God, it was after lunch. Everyone was asleep in their seat. Just like, there was nothing exciting about it. It, it wasn't a way I thought, I guess, from an entertainment perspective, that's not how you want to end a conference, you know? Like, you really, you want to end with a bang. People have that feeling like, oh, that was great. And they're going to carry that feeling with them back to their car and back home. Uh, and so I just thought this is such a great opportunity to miss that, uh, for them to, you know, to, to miss the opportunity. So I feel like a lot of my jokes are already about education. 
I can easily tie my life story into the book and like why it's you know important to me and important to the future. Um, but not just for selling a book, but just for getting these ideas into teachers and hopefully to administrators of, um, like we were talking earlier, uh, the school store. Why wasn't that a class? You know, like a banking class or even just understanding simple checks and balances. Um, the events. We used to have roller skating parties and dance parties. And why weren't these taught to kids for event planning? Like, these are huge parts of our world right now. Facebook events, you know, we get invited to them nonstop. Generally speaking, I mean, I have a lot of experience putting on comedy, music, all different types of events. So, but it took, no one taught me how to do anything like that. When I began, uh, it was the first comedy show I ever really put on was the Eastville Comedy Club in Manhattan. And myself and this guy, Kenny Warren, who goes under the moniker, the, the average black man, he is one of the most famous barbers in Harlem. Comedian as well. And we teamed up uh, having what's called a bringer show, which is basically they give you the room for the night and you have to bring in X amount of tickets and they get a percentage of the bar and a percentage of your tickets and you can keep the door. And so we would sell tickets out of the barber shop and bring them all downtown and then book our friends as comics and have a great show like that. But there are just so many factors that go into something as simple as that that you don't even think of. And it, it, like I said, it's all trial by fire, but simple things that you could have, you know, Events, addressed. Like you said, but yeah. if, if you were a kid in school, it's like, you know, like one of the first businesses I had was my friend Sean Muncy and we, and we sold rocks to people in our neighborhood. We were like seven years old and we had these decorative sparkly rocks and we went door to door, like, would you like to buy some rocks? And they say, no. And we're like, understandable. <laughs> and where'd you get the rocks from? Well, we stole them from other people's yards. <laughs> and we were not allowed to leave the block. So we were just like taking rocks from other people's yard. And maybe if we had a class, we'd realize that wasn't the best business model, <laughs> you know? Uh, but uh, there's just so many applications, I think, in adult life that, uh, th that you know, are just not being addressed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I, want, I wanted to circle back real quick before we close. Mm -hmm of what you said and how you're piecing this together, you know, where you are reaching out within Facebook groups, offering a service for free, and then that leads to work. You know, mm. for people out there listening right now, I think that's a valuable bit of information yep. I really want to highlight because that is how a lot of us piece our lives together on the road. Yep. Um, you offer something for free, which then people see whatever skill set you have to offer, and then money follows. Yeah. And you can live on the road like you have for a long time mm -hmm. doing just that. And I, I commend you for it. Sounds like you are ready to settle down and do something different. Yeah. Obviously, you have this new thing in the pipeline. If you could talk to one audience member, inspire them to think about that next move, how they're going to make that next move, yeah. what would you say to them? I say, what are you good at? And give it the fuck away. Because it's not about that exchange of you giving something away. It's about the relationships that you, in turn, get from that. Case in point, when I went to D.C. At, just to volunteer, I gave them artwork. They saw the value in that. Then they let me do comedy. They saw the value in that. That led to where I am now. Now, that is a kind of a one in a million shot right there. However, every time I've given away a mural or I've you know done a free comedy show, those people remember you. They remember who you are. You talk with them. You establish that relationship because down the road, you never know where that's going to, where that's going to turn up. Mm -hmm. I've had so many people you know, reach out to me for other work, for other murals, or now they say, Oh, you also do comedy or like they see me as a comedian. Oh, you do art. And that leads to things. 
And so I think that's kind of like, kind of coming back to that point of like, if you have a hobby, nurture that as if it could be your profession. Because if you're good at that and you like doing it, then, you know, and you let the world know, like the world's going to interact with you versus you interacting with it. So if, it, if it's right and it'll come back, then I, I think the money comes after that. But um, give it away like that's your job. That's what I would say. Beautifully said. Can you please tell the audience one more time where they can find your book and the yes. name of the book? Of course. Uh, well, you can go to my website, adampalmeter.com, A-D-A-M-P-A-L-M-E-T-E-R. I'm sure this will be posted. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, my book is on Amazon, T. Lee and the Opportunity. If you want to contact me, you can go to uh, opportunity.com or adampalmeter.com. Hit me up. Love to hear from anybody. And uh, yeah, tell me about your weird story. Fucking misfits and rejects. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> Hell yeah, thank you. Cheers, brother. Thank Ciao. you so much. Appreciate it. Awesome, Adam. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. Sitting with you was such a pleasure. Hearing your story, getting super psyched and motivated and inspired to apply some of the things that we talked about in my own entrepreneurial endeavors, in my own networking endeavors as I enter new cities around the world. Definitely going to take one of those feathers out of your hat and uh, utilize it. And to you, the audience, please check him out at adampalmeter.com. You can also go to the show notes and check out his children's book, T. Lee and the Opportunity Tree, or you can go to Amazon and do the same, T. Lee and the Opportunity Tree. Super cool book, really cool in the way he's delivering it to the youth of today, and I just love his mission in life. You know, let's let's change the system. Let's make a difference. Let's help those kids who struggle with the system that's in place today find a way to capitalize on their learning styles and the way they absorb information and the way they apply the information into the world today. I know for a fact I was one of those kids who didn't fit into that system very well. My learning styles were not conducive at all to the 18 years at least in which I found myself in school. And it wasn't actually until college where I took a whole course on this subject of learning styles that I realized the system is broken for a guy like me and a guy like Adam and many girls out there and young kids alike who just don't learn in the way that the American school system was originally set up and founded on. So thank you again for joining us. Please remember, if you'd like to help spread the Misfits and Rejects message, subscribing right now on that phone, pulling out your whatever you're listening to your podcast on, hitting the subscribe button, giving it a five-star rating, sharing this episode or the podcast itself with a friend just really helps me in the algorithm of Spotify, iTunes, so I can start showing up within those category lists for the average person who's just looking for a really cool podcast with a really cool message that inspires them to hopefully take a step back, analyze their life situation, and make a change. Thank you for listening. I think you all are so very beautiful, and I'll see you in next week's episode. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new. To live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.